Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST site, my website, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website, at www.businessacumen.biz or at Backing Day. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business from my website, leongetler.com. I'm Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 30 in our series for 2023, and today's date is Friday, August the 25th. First, I'll be talking to Frank Grief, the Head of Industry at Domain, Australia's digital property portal and associated real estate industry business. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about the latest wages and jobs figures. But first, let's talk to Frank Grief. Well, Frank, tell me about your background. I mean, you started as a chef. Yes. You then set up a technology company. You became mm-hmm. the CEO and then you sold that business to Domain. That's right. So tell me about the business mm-hmm. that you sold to Domain. Yep. And what does it do for Domain? Yeah, no worries. So so our, our business, um, what it essentially is, is a marketplace for real estate agents. So the idea is every time a property sells in Australia and New, and New Zealand, uh, a real estate agent will need to perform different types of marketing to help them sell the home. So for example, if you drive past a, you know, any home for sale, you'll see a signboard at the front, you'll see it on Domain, you'll see it on REA, uh, they might hand out some brochures, um, you might see it on social media. And so our business aggregates all of the suppliers, so all the people that execute those different materials, and the real estate agencies will log onto our platform to perform those uh, tasks for real estate agents. I think the easiest way I, I, I kind of, cause it's quite unique, right? It's very different. So the easiest way to describe it is kind of uh, similar to how an Uber eats is you have on the one side, you have a consumer who wants to buy from a restaurant. And on the other side, you have all of the restaurants in order to buy from and, and Uber eats is kind of the aggregator, the, the gateway between the two. And so that's what we are. We're the gateway between the two. So we don't necessarily do a lot of the marketing, but we facilitate the process. I understand. So you're the gateway. Exactly you're, right. And you're the aggregator. Exactly right. That's quite a unique offering from Domain, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's look, it's it's very it's very niche. And so so our background was my my brother was a real estate photographer. Uh, my middle brother was a real estate floor planner, and that was at the time I was a chef. And so then we actually um, there was just an opportunity where my brother said, "Hey, let, let's let's do some real estate signboards." And so we actually started as a physical services company where we would go and install the signboards. And then we created a platform for ourselves to go, okay, well, we, we need to be able to do this e- easier on scale. And so that was the start. And then we quickly realized actually, well, there's probably a need here that we could do it for other suppliers and not you know, get ourselves out of physical services and move purely into a technology play. So basically you came up with the technology for this. 
Yeah, correct. Yeah, so there was one. There was one player in the space who in, like, who essentially invented the, this this concept, um, which they'd, they'd been in the game at the time we started roughly about fifteen years, and so we we kind of you know head, went head to head and challenged them over the you know course of about three four years. We we managed to take about thirty percent of their market share, uh, and about two and a half years ago we actually merged with that business. So we merged. So at the time they were about roughly six to eight times the size of us um but because of i guess our our age uh, the 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 technology that we'd built i was able to get a 50 50 merger together and that was the time that i then got i was then put in the ceo position uh, and then that became so we through that merger became the number one in the space so we so roughly we see about 43 percent of all transactions almost one in every two properties across australia and new zealand will come through our business so yeah, the, the next closest to us is probably one-tenth the size um, that does what we do. So you're basically half the properties. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And so that was the unique element for domain was this is the a, a place where the agents will come to get not only just the online marketing, but they'll get all the marketing. And so ultimately, you know, by partnering, acquiring us, we then became very, it became a very unique offering where, you know, no one else could go and acquire another business similar to us and have the same thing. This is this is really in- interesting because, I mean, is this proprietary technology? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so um, I, I'm, I'm very blessed. My, uh, my eldest brother and my middle brother are both software engineers. So both um, about uh, eight to 10 times smarter than me. <laughs> so I'm blessed in that space where, you know, they created um, incredible technology. Um, and I just got the opportunity ultimately to talk and, and share about it and, and, and be, I guess, a, a bit of the face of the business. So you're basically the salesman. I was the salesman. Yep. That was my, my job from day one was <laughs> Go knock, knock, knock on doors and convince the small little offices, and then slowly and slowly built to you know boutique brands, then um, you know big franchise groups, and now it's you know it, it, all the ones you can imagine. How does this fit in with domain? So now how it fits in with domain is ultimately domain has a, a, a different series of products that a lot of people don't know about. So from a consumer facing, everybody would know mostly about, you know, domain as an online place to look for properties, as well as domain to get you know mortgages, home loans. But what they wouldn't realize is that there's a different side to domain, which is direct to agents. So real estate agents, and they have a series of products. So one's, you know, for compliance, which is called real-time agents, which is helping sign agency agreements and doing digital authorities. One's called price finder, which is a data play, which is you know, helping people understand how property, uh, you know, the, the history of it. And so all these different series of products are in, in you know, are essentially fragmented where what we're doing together is then creating a, you know, a, a, a single entry point and bringing all the products together um, so that, you know, an agent would have one login and they would see all the different products and all the different processes that they can save within their business. So your business actually alerts agents to other businesses of domain. Correct. Yeah. So, so it's a, it was a very, uh, the, the fit was a very harmonious because we of course had huge gaps in our business that we weren't doing and domain had a couple of different gaps and kind of when we laid it out together, we saw that putting the two businesses together, we can kind of complete the end-to-end workflow for the agents. You would have to work with others in domain for this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so we're very, um, so as of July this year, so what happened was we now, uh, you know, part of the one domain strategy is we fully merged real base into domain. So we've kind of broken the business up into different units and put them, you know, either reporting to someone in domain or people in real base have stepped up. Um, at that time, I, I changed my title from CEO to head of industry, given that, that Jason Pellegrino is the CEO of domain. So it does not make any sense to have two of them. Um, and so ultimately now, 
by having the teams together, we then have you know one strategy and you know one play to 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 bring all this to life. Because of course, uh, you know we have a very clear vision, uh, but it's going to take time. You know these things take time, and you know there's different technology, different businesses that demand required. So it'll take you know multiple years to get things to be you know exactly how we would like to to see them for the customer. So how do you see this building and developing piece by piece? So 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 you know so already this year, so we've been acquired for roughly. 15 months, um, we've we've gone and gone, okay, what are the most logical products that work together? So, you know, so for example, we have a digital proposal tool, which it helps an agent win new business, um, which is when they sit down with a the vendor, they say, okay, well, you know, here's why you should use me. Here's some comparable properties in the area. Here's my commission. And the logical step from having that conversation with the vendor then flows on to let's sign the agency agreement and move forward. Now, Domain has a product that they acquired called Real-Time Agent. And so we're bringing those two products together. Um, already this year, we brought those two products together um, through an integration. So, you know, it's, it's like it's like those little integrations is how it starts. And then then you, you move forward to, okay, well, what's the next logical product? And then finally, you know, okay, how do they all work together in a cohesive step? So five years time. Yes. What can agents expect from Domain in this business? So five years time from now is, uh, you know, the, the goal for us is it's a is a, a single platform in terms of look and feel. So what we want to do is have, you know, one login for an agent where they can pick and choose from any of the products. But once they understand one of the products, how it works, you know, how the technology feels, they understand them all. And so the idea is, you know, right now there's a, you know, there's roughly 380 different technology products in the real estate space. And so what we were trying to do is simplify and reduce the noise. And essentially what that means is, you know, by having, you know, one supplier, one supplier to do all these different things, you have data that flows between nicely and you'll have a lot of time saved. And for us, that's a you know, big part of what we do is like, we, we're not trying to, you know, completely change what you do as an agent, but we're trying to save you time because ultimately we want, you know, if an agent has more time to work on the things that actually matter from a dollar perspective. So, you know, they call it you know, in the, in the agent world, it's all around dollar productive hours. So, you know, signing a contract or physically on paper, dropping it off to someone is not very dollar productive. So if we can strip out that time, you know, and save it by hours, well, then you can focus on getting your next listing and that next listing might produce 20, 30, 40, $80,000. And so therefore we can help agents produce more and become more efficient and, uh, and earn more. Okay. Well, Frank, that's all fascinating. And thank you very much for your time. No worries. All good. And now let's talk to Indeed economist, Callum Pickering. Well, Callum, uh, unemployment came in at 3.7% and wages have actually not showing much signs of growth. What's your view about that? Yeah, it was certainly a disappointing set of labour market figures this week. Both wages and employment fell short of, of market expectations, which does suggest that maybe the labour market isn't quite as uh, tight or as strong as we'd anticipated. The The wage figures were particularly disappointing because they did appear as though they were you know strengthening. I mean, so to take a bit of a, a step back in the, in the June quarter was highly unexpected. On the labour market front, employment did fall in, in July which obviously was a bit of a surprise. But of course, the employment figures can often be quite volatile. And so you do sometimes get that uh, that lacklustre result, uh, particularly when you've had a, a period of, of pretty strong employment growth, which is which is what we've had. The, the fact that the unemployment rate increased to 3.7%, though, was a, a, a big surprise, but not... It was pretty consistent with what sort of policymakers such as the Reserve Bank had been anticipating. Well, the Reserve Bank is certainly expecting unemployment to go up to about 4% by the end of the year, aren't they? 
Yeah, that's right. 3.9% is, I think, what they penciled in for in their August uh, statement on monetary policy. So the movement to 3.7% appears to be consistent with that occurring. So I don't think the RBA would necessarily be very concerned about this uh, monthly decline in employment, particularly given the, the volatility we do see in the, in the monthly employment figures. It would suggest that the, the rate rises are slowing down the economy. Yeah, certainly the recent data flow does indicate that the economy is showing clear signs of, of slowing. We are, we are seeing that with employment figures. Uh, we've particularly seen it in the retail figures where uh, you know retail volumes that, that households are buying have declined for the past three quarters, which is something that hasn't happened in the past 15 years. So there's clear signs that uh, increases in the cash rate are, are having their desired impact. They are slowing the economy. Okay, and so what does that mean for the Reserve Bank moving ahead? Well, I think that, you know, based on what we're seeing with global inflation, which has come down quite significantly, and we've also seen a, a bit of a, a moderation in domestic inflation as, as well, the wage figures, the unemployment figures that we've seen this week would all indicate that the RBA is highly unlikely to raise rates when they meet in September. And I think a, a rate rise uh, again this year is increasingly unlikely. Now, things could obviously change. We could get some surprising, uh, we could get some upside surprise on the inflation figures out towards the end of the month. That could change things. But, but certainly as they stand today, the combination of unemployment, wage growth, retail trade, all indicate that there is very uh, little need for the RBA to, to hike rates again in the near term. The wages figures are worrying because it suggests the wages are actually going backwards. Yeah, the annual figure did take a, a step backwards, um, just ever ever so slightly, but it was uh, certainly unexpected. So the market was anticipating a quarterly increase in wages of around 1%, um, whereas we got a, a 0.8% uh, increase in, in the June quarter. So it was, a, it was a pretty big miss. Now, that said, the, the data still indicates that annual wage growth is likely to push towards 4% by the end of the year. Um, we're likely to see a big September quarter um, number due to you know the increase in the minimum wage and, and that flowing through um, to the, the broader economy. So I don't think the wage growth is at its peak, but it's perhaps not going to get as high as we'd earlier anticipated because of that much weaker June quarter figure. Uh, do you expect it to get up much higher? Look, I think we'll push 4% by the end of the year. I think going any higher than that is unlikely at this stage. Um, but we are seeing, so in, in the June quarter, around uh, wages in about 12% of, of jobs um, changed. And the average increase amongst those jobs was about 4.5% in the private sector. So when jobs do get that increase in wages, the, the increase is pretty sizable. And then that will continue to, to flow through to the annual uh, wage figure, which should push it towards 4% by the end of the year. Going higher than that, though, I think is is possibly unlikely, particularly if the labour market does continue to moderate. The RBA is saying 4%. Could you see it going up higher than 4%, maybe 4.25%? Look, it's possible, but I don't think it's going to happen this year. Uh, I think 4% is probably about as high as we're likely to achieve um, this year, just based purely on what we've seen with the minimum wage and the likely flow through of that to you know other, other occupations. Uh, but next year? Could it go higher? Look, potentially we could be a little bit higher in the first half of the year, but that's going to coincide likely with a, a cooling labour market and a much weaker economy overall. And so the combination of those two could certainly uh, put some downward pressure on wage growth and we could begin to see some 
softer quarterly figures. So it is, is it is quite possible that around 4% could be where it tops out. What will this do for inflation further out? Well, this, this could potentially be a concern. So we, we obviously know that domestic inflation is, is coming down, but that at the moment is being driven by global factors. So inflation is, is declining or easing uh, globally. In order for the Reserve Bank to get inflation consistently within the 2 to 3% target band, we are likely, we, we need to see the, the economy slow down. We need to see softer employment outcomes. We possibly need to see weaker wage growth as well, because the productivity figures that we have suggest that uh, wage growth of 3.6% or 4%, as we might reach towards the end of the year, is not compatible with an inflation target of 2 to 3% right now. So the, the RBA will be a little bit concerned about wage growth going into next year. So it'll be interesting to see how that, that plays out. What I think is going to happen with inflation is we're going to find it very easy to get inflation under 4%. I think we'll probably be there by the end of the year. We may go a little, little bit lower, but to consistently get that to that 2 to 3% target, we're going to need to see either labour productivity increase quite a bit um, or we're going to need to see uh, wage growth come down quite a bit. So it'll be interesting to see what the dynamics are there. Uh, the RBA is talking about inflation getting somewhere to the 2 3% band somewhere around the end of 2025. Do you see that as possible? I mean, certainly. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if it happened next year, depending on what happens with wages. I mean, like I said, I think we'll be a touch below 4% by the end of this year. Uh, if the global economy slows a little bit faster than anticipated, we could very well find ourselves towards 3% um, over the next 12 months. It's possible. So I think the RBA has been quite conservative with their, their current forecasts for inflation. And I think a, a lot of that... That, that cautious sort of approach that they do have is around that concern for, for wages because they know that if wage growth remains sort of in that 35 to 4% range, which we expect that it will be for, for much of the next 12 months, then meeting that inflation target could be difficult. But, you know, the economy slows down a little bit faster than anticipated. The, the employment and wage dynamics can change quite rapidly. And that could certainly lead to uh, lower than expected inflation. But certainly maybe next year, maybe or po possibly 2025. Yeah, like I said, I, I certainly would be surprised if we got inflation back to within 2 to 3% at, at some point next year. Uh, whether we can consistently achieve that is, is another question. And, and that will depend in large part around what's happening with wage growth and productivity. If productivity, doesn't, productivity growth doesn't begin to, to pick up, um, then we're going to need to see wage growth come down quite a bit in order to facilitate a consistent 2 to 3% in inflation uh, level. So if that doesn't occur, then certainly the, the year after appears a more likely scenario. But like I said, wouldn't be surprised at all if we were back within the target next year. So it certainly shows that the rate rises are doing the job. I think so, yeah. Um, it, it took a little while for it to occur, but, but certainly at, at this point it does appear as though the rate rises are having their intended effect. They're impacting household spending patterns. They're impacting employment. Um, and we would expect that to continue because, of course, um, changes in monetary policy impact the economy with a considerable lag. And so we, we certainly haven't felt the, the full force of all the rate rises um, thus far. Because that lag is about 18 months, isn't it? Yeah, a good 12 to 18 months, typically. Um, and, of course, rate rises only started in uh, May of last year.
So we're only, what, 15 months uh, removed from the, the first rate rises. So we're going to see the impact of that flow through over the next 12 to, to 18 months. Um, so the fact that it's already having an impact does suggest that we will continue to see it have an impact going forward. And certainly, uh, given that we're 15 months in, it's going to continue for some time. That would be... Um, that, that would certainly be what I would expect. Um, and in fact, I would expect the impact to become larger over time as that flow through uh, occurs. Household budgets continue to get tight, but tighter by the day. They're already beginning to change their behaviour and they'll continue to do so. They'll rein in their non-discretionary, uh, their discretionary spending. Um, and that's going to bring retail and household consumption down, which is going to put some, probably some upward pressure on unemployment. Um, as it as it flows through the the economy, so that process has already started and it will continue over the next twelve months. And there'll be increasing pressure on household budgets as a result. That's right. It's not going to become. It's not going to be easy for, for households. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live, from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating. They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Now, it's obviously been a bit of a struggle over the past 18 months, two years. Cost of living pressures aren't going away, unfortunately. Um, so a lot of households will have it pretty rough over the next uh, 12, 18 months. Well, Callum, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Leon. So what's happening in the news? Well, China's $18 trillion economy is decelerating. Consumers are downbeat. Exports are struggling. Prices are falling. And more than one in five young people are out of work. Country Gardens Holdings Co., with 3,000 pending property projects up and down the country, is on the cusp of default. And protesters have gathered at Zhongzi Enterprise Group Co., one of the biggest shadow banks demanding their money as payments are halted. China is undergoing an expectations recession, said Bert Hoffman, former China country director at the World Bank. Once everybody believes that growth will be slower going forward, this will be self-fulfilling. In the worst case scenario, this dynamic ends in stagnation or Japanification, something some economists see a warning of in China's latest consumer price data showing deflation. Falling prices are both a symptom of weak demand and a drag on future growth as households delay purchases, business profits fall and real borrowing costs rise. And Optus has become the most distrusted brand in Australia in the wake of its high-profile data breach last year, according to the latest Roy Morgan data, displacing Facebook for the first time since the survey began. Fellow hack victim Medibank also made the top 10 most distrusted brands after its security was compromised shortly after, coming in at number six. The data breaches, which exposed the personal information of millions, had left a lingering scar on both companies, Roy Morgan said. The latest ranking change for Optus spelled continuing bad news for the telecommunications industry, which Roy Morgan found had become the most distrusted sector in February and continued to hold the position of the year to June, thanks to a third place for Telstra. 
The rankings, which assess net trust distrust over a 12-month period, show the cumulative impact of negative publicity. Social media also performed poorly, with Facebook in second spot and TikTok deteriorating five places to become the eighth most disrupted brand. The survey put Twitter X a tenth, although it predated Elon Musk's rebranding of the platform. Roy Morgan said outside the top ten, the reputation of Qantas continued to deteriorate from 19th in the previous survey to 13th. And for the first time, it's surpassing its own budget airline, Jetstar, at 16. Other poor performers included News Corp and Amazon. Supermarket and retailers dominated the most trusted brands' top 10, with Woolworths, Coles, Bunnings, Aldi and Kmart taking out the top five places. Outside of the top 10, the banks picked up minor places, with Benigo Bank at 16th, the Commonwealth Bank at 17th, up from 20th, and ING at 19th. And Australia will lose its AAA credit rating by the end of the decade driving up the federal government's interest bill and the cost of borrowing for major companies as climate change undermines the economy and tax base. Groundbreaking research suggests Australia is likely to be one of the worst affected countries as taxpayers worldwide face paying more than US $1 trillion, that's $1.6 trillion Aussie, a year in extra interest on government debt if global temperatures climb unabated. While there have been previous estimates of the broad economic impact of climate change, the research paper, Rising Temperatures, Falling Ratings, the Effect of Climate Change on Sovereign Credit Worthiness, is the first to look at its impact on government credit ratings. Researchers from the universities of Oxford, Cambridge, Yale and East Anglia looked at how credit ratings used by investors to determine the ability of a country to repay its debt would change if global temperatures increased by either 2 degrees or 5 degrees over the rest of this century. Two of the authors, Matt Burke and Patricia Klusak, said Australia's federal taxpayers and businesses would be among the worst affected by a credit rating downgrade caused by climate change. And the nation's energy market operator is poised to issue a stark warning about threats to supply in the electricity grid and will make an urgent call for business and investors to proceed with planned generation projects amid concern about a rough transition to green power. The Australian Energy Market Operator will issue its 10-year outlook for the market, the Electricity Statement of Opportunities, before the end of August. Industry sources expect this forecast to spill out ongoing reliability risks in the system, including a potential crisis this summer, along with the need for industry to urgently approve a pipeline of developments. The document will be closely scrutinised by the New South Wales Government as it nears a decision on Origin Energy's erraring coal-fired power station, which could close up to seven years early in mid-2025. The AEMO report is developed through consultation with Australia's energy industry, and the market operator is expected to warn of larger potential for shortfalls if significant progress on urgent projects is not made. AMO last year said every state within Australia's national electricity market could experience shortfalls in supply over the next decade, with South Australia potentially first by 2024. And Australia's economic growth will be significantly slower over the next 40 years due to an ageing population and lower population, putting pressure on governments to reform taxes, show budget discipline and lift productivity, workforce participation and migration rates. The latest intergenerational report forecasts annual average growth of 2.2% over the next 40 years, which would be the lowest since World War II, and 0.9 percentage points lower than the average annual growth of the past 40 years. It is also lower than the 2.6% average annual growth rate forecast by the previous report that was released in 2021 by the Morrison government. The difference between the two forecasts is due to the Albanese government lowering the productivity growth assumptions underpinning the budget from 1.5% to a more realistic 1.2%. The latest report also makes a case for the Stage 3 tax cuts which begin next year, as well as ongoing tax relief thereafter to ensure the ever-dwindling proportion of workers is not suffocated by income taxes climbing as a proportion of GDP. 
The report, which is being rolled out over the course of this week by Treasurer Jim Chalmers, is an exercise by Treasury to forecast over the next 40 years the key structural pressures in the budget. It forecasts a doubling of people older than 65 and a tripling of those aged 85. The top five pressures on the budget, the NDIS, interest payments on debt, defence, aged care and health, will cost collectively an extra $141 billion a year in today's dollars by 2062-63. Its population forecasts are also in line with the 2021 document, with a prediction Australia will have 40 million people by 2062-63. The intergenerational report released in 2015 forecasts a population of almost 40 million by 2054-55, almost 10 years earlier than now expected. Although economic growth will be slower over the next 40 years, the economy is expected to be about two and a half times larger in 2062-63 than in 2022-23 in real terms. Dr Chalmers said the low growth forecasts and building pressures were a wake-up call that his predecessors had masked the extent of the challenge with overly optimistic productivity assumptions of a 1.5% growth rate. The intergenerational report says tax receipts are projected to exceed the coalition's self-imposed tax of 23.9% of GDP to 24.4% of GDP over the next 10 years and stay at that level until 2062-63 as traditional revenue sources dry up due to decarbonisation and governments continue to cut income tax. In Australia's dirtiest power station, the 2.2 gigawatt Luoyang A brown coal generator in Victoria will continue to operate until 2035 under a new deal struck with the state government, which effectively kills hopes that Australia could reach 100% renewables before that date. The 2035 closure date is consistent with AGL's commitment announced nearly a year ago, when it brought forward the closure date by decade under pressure from activist shareholder Mike Cannon-Brooks and climate campaigners and scientists. There was hope that this closure date could be brought forward. The deal with the Victorian government effectively kills this hope and includes unspecified compensation from the state if, as widely expected, Loy Yang A struggles to make money in a grid increasingly dominated by renewables and rooftop solar. And billionaire Solomon Liu has flagged that his company Premier Investments could be demerged from its low-growth portfolio of apparel fashion stores, Just Jeans, JJ's, Portman's, Dotty and Jackie E. In a flurry of announcements to the ASX, which included the shock resignation of Richard Murray as the chief executive of its retail arm, Premier Retail, after only two years in the role, Premier Investments revealed a strategic review would now consider a review of its operating and capital structure, including dividend policies, and a separation of the group into two or more entities by way of demerger. Happy days for UBS dealmakers Kelvin Barry and John Mand, who have snagged the lucrative gig of advising Premier Investments on whether to split the Solomon Lou Control Retail Investment Group into four separate ASX-listed companies. Executive at the various brands being considered for the spin-off, Peter Alexander, Kids Stationery Shop Smickle, and Premier's remaining retail brands including Just Jeans, Portman and Jackie E have yet to be consulted. UBS is expected to keep working on the project until at least the middle of the next year, and that was a conservative estimate, according to one source close to the deal. No doubt there will be plenty of conjecture about what each of the spin-offs would be valued at. According to brokers at Unified Capital Partners, Smiggle could be worth some $1.19 billion in its own right. Peter Alexander, which sells luxury sleepwear, would be valued at $1.59 billion, while the remaining apparel brands would be worth $915.5 million, they said. Adding in property holdings, Premier's massive cash pile, estimated to be some $477.7 million this financial year, and the stakes in Meyer and Breville, the entire company could be worth around $5.33 billion. 
at more than $30 per share, Lou's personal fortune could grow some $500 million. Coincidentally, that's just about the market capitalisation of Maya. Premier, which will return to being an investment vehicle under the proposal, already holds 26% in the department store, and Lou has finally succeeded in, in getting his favoured candidate onto the company's board. And the profit reporting season continues. BHP's annual underlying profit slumped 37% to US $13.4 billion, that's $20.9 billion Aussie. Woodside Energy's net profit, excluding one-offs, rose 4% to US $1.9 billion. Coken.com's gross sales dropped 28.4% to $840.8 million and revenue declined 31.9% to $489.5 million. Lithium producer Alcom reported full-year profit of US $524.6 million, that's $817.85 million Aussie, and record group revenue of more than US $1.2 billion. Westfield owner and operator Centre has recorded a 68.9% drop in its interim statutory profit to $149.4 million. Disinfection device maker Nanasonic's profit after tax rose to $19.9 million, up from $3.7 million a year earlier. Coles Group has posted a 5.2% rise in group revenue to $41.83 billion, underpinned by its supermarkets, with sales gained 6.1% to $36.75 billion for the 2023 financial year. Woolworths increased profit to $1.6 billion. Redbubble reported an EBITDA loss of $40.7 million from a loss of $11.2 million the previous fiscal year. Car dealer group Peter Warren reported a 0.3% decline in net profit after tax to $56.4 million for the 12 months into June 30. Perth-based engineering group Mount Monodelphus's profits rose 2.5% on a year earlier to $53.5 million. SDA Health reported net loss after tax of $33.9 million for the year into June 30, compared with a loss of $52.4 million for the prior year. Childcare giant G8 Education statutory profit for the past six months have lifted from $8.5 million to $15 million. Investment platforms business Hub24 has posted a surging net profit up 160% to $38.2 million in financial 2023, on sales up 45% to $279.5 million. AUB Group reported underlying net profit after tax impact of $129.1 million for the 2023 financial year, up from $74 million the previous year. Cloud connectivity provider Megaport reported a net loss of $9.8 million for FY23, an 80% difference from the $48.5 million loss a year earlier. Charter Hall posted a statutory profit of $196.1 million. Westpac has booked a net profit for the third quarter of $1.8 billion. Australia's largest outdoor media company, Ool Media, reported revenue of $296.6 million for the first six months of 2023, up 7% on the year before. Its adjusted earnings before interest taxation, depreciation and amortisation fell 4% to $49.6 million, while its adjusted net profit rose $0.1 million to $20. Million. Plumbing Supplies Group Reliance Worldwide's net profit after tax was up 2% to US $139.7 million. Appliance Group Revel's net profit after tax for the 12 months into June 30 was up 44.2% to $110.2 million, while revenues were 4.2% higher at $1.48 billion. Homewares retailer Adair's gross profit jumped 5.8% to $285.5 million. 
health insurer NIB has lifted underlying profit 11% to $263.2 million. Australia's largest steelmaker Bluescope announced a 64% drop in net profit after tax to $1.01 billion. New Zealand's biggest telecommunications group, Chorus, which is dual listed in New Zealand and Australia, has delivered a 61% slide in net profit to $25 million New Zealand dollars, that's $23.1 million Aussie. Sydney-based insurance giant IAG, behind brands included NRMA and CGU, said its profits had risen $832 million for the 12 months to June, up from $347 million. Ampol has reported 26% fall in annual profits. Residential developer AV Jennings reported a 72% rise in profit before tax of $31 million for the year to June. A2 milk company group EBITDA gained 11.8% to New Zealand $19.3 million. Financial software and data firm Eris reported net loss of $139.8 million. Professional audio video systems Ordinate's gross profit increased by 34% to US $33 million. New Hope posted underlying EBITDA of $267.7 million for the quarter ended July. Agribusiness group Elders has downgraded its profit forecast, citing weaker-than-expected sales in its rural products division and pressure on margins in crop production and farm chemicals. Premier Retail saying its expected full-year earnings of $355 billion to $357 million, up between 6% and 6% in 2022. Real estate agency McGrath reported a 47% drop in statutory net profit to $6.2 million for the 2023 financial year and a 77% decline in underlying profit to $2.6 million, dragged down by historically low listings and rising interest rates. Viva's net profit after tax collapsed 51% to $355.4 million, while EBITDA dived 41% to $361 million, down on the $611 million reported in the previous corresponding period. ARB Corporation's net profit after tax dropped to $88.4 million. Ingenia Communities reported an underlying profit of $84.7 million for the full year ending June 30, down 4% on the prior year. Illumina Group reported a net loss after tax of US $43 million, that's $67 million Aussie for the six months to June, down from US $168 million in the previous corresponding period. APA Group's statutory net profit rose to $287 million in the 12 months into June 30, from $259.7 million. Sky City has reported net profit of $8 million New Zealand dollars, that's $7.4 million Aussie. Potstock, Futura Health, has posted a net profit up 128% to $13.3 million. Non-bank lender Pepper Money profits fell 28% to $52 million in the six months to June. Hotel booking software company SiteMinder has reported a net loss of $49.3 million for FY23. Domino's suffered a 74% tumble in net profit after tax to $40.6 million for the 12 months end of June 30. Corporate travel management's underlying earnings before interest tax appreciation and amortisation were $167.1 million. Global logistics software company Wisetech Global reported a 9% jump in its full-year profit to $212.2 million. Santos net profit dropped to US $790 million, that's $1.23 billion Aussie in the six months into June 30, from US $1.17 billion in the first half last year. Global engineering group Worley's annual net profit slid 78% to $37 million. The Lottery Corporation's net profit fell 23.6% to $264.8 million. IDP Education reported 45% on-year in adjusted MPAT to $154 million. Aluka declared a $203.8 million half-year profit, down 44% from the first half of 2022. 
ASX listed alternative asset manager HMC Capital's revenues fell 13% to $68.7 million and profit was down 26% to $57.1 million. Bathroom fixture and fittings company Reese Group's net profit after tax was down 1.2% to $387.6 million for the 12 months end of June 30. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Daniel Harmer from Domain. Daniel is General Manager Product for all of Domain's agent products, along with GM of all homes. And I'll be talking to Rabobank economist Michael Every about China's economic crisis. In the meantime, you catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you want, leave a comment. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business on the Apple Podcast Store or on my website, leongetler.com. If you want to contact me, email me at leongetler.com. I answer all emails. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.